Um, you know, it used to be where I grew up. I grew up in, in Appalachia, Virginia. And um, the area that I grew up in, there, were, there was no such thing as a stranger. If, if someone drove by your house uh, that you didn't recognize, somebody, before they got, before they got too far out of the way, Somebody was going to find out who they were. They were going to they were going to uh, show some kindness to that person, and um, just hospitable people, hospitality, if you could say that's that's probably what our lesson is going to be about tonight. And you might be thinking, well, what does hospitality have to do with missions? Well, I believe it has a lot to do with missions, and I think a lot of churches today, um, their missions, missions, if you will, their their missions program, their missions. Uh, however you want to word that, is struggling because of a lack of hospitality. Um, when I grew up, and I'm not that old, but the, the area that I grew up in, um, you had what we call just good neighbors. If, if uh, you wanted to go see somebody, you didn't have to call and ask if they were, uh, if you could come over or you didn't have to you know, if you wanted to have a family over for supper or if you wanted to go to somebody else's house or whatever, you didn't have to schedule that into your Google calendar a month ahead, a month in advance. If I wanted to know how Brother Kelly was doing, a lot of times uh, when I was a kid, I remember my dad, he'd say, well, I wonder how so-and-so's doing. And uh, again, I'm not that old, but we had a, uh, the, our telephone service was uh, the road that we were on. There were five other people that shared that same line y'all remember did y'all have that around here i'm sure you did you know what i'm talking about they called it a party line or something and we had when i was a kid i can remember thinking how so and so doing go to pick up the phone call them and somebody else on the street was on the phone so you couldn't call them and dad said well, let's just drive down there well you'd drive down there to so-and-so's house just to see how they were doing next thing you know you were sitting around a table and you were maybe having coffee with them. My dad, I remember that. Or sometimes they'd just say, well, come on in. Y'all sit down and eat with us. We're getting ready to eat. But today, in 2022, if you don't have an appointment with somebody, you dare not go to their house. You know what I'm saying? We're, that bothers me. Because uh, there's, a, there's a thing that we're losing in our churches as a result of this. Everything has to be on a schedule mentality. And I want to try to show you some things in the Bible tonight um, that, that maybe would help moving forward. But in John chapter 13, verse number 34, the Bible says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And in verse 35, he says this, By this <clears throat> shall all men know that ye are my disciples. All right, what's that? If you have love one to another. Now, when you think about that verse, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. Circle that word right there. If you have love one toward another, you know, you're not going to really show the world Christ in you, the hope of glory, 
if you don't have love one toward another, right? And uh, one of the one of the things that I think hinders missions the most is not a lack of the proclamation of the gospel. God has there there is uh, churches. There are people. I was in Lebanon day before yesterday. And there was a man walked up out of the blue. I'd never met him before in my life. It's the second or third time that I've had a random person come up and give me a gospel track. God's got people out there proclaiming the gospel. I don't think that's necessarily, uh, can it be a hindrance? Yes. But I think one of the hindrances to missions that our churches are dealing with is a lost and dying world watching how people inside the church treat each other. There's no love one to another. Now give me give me some time to 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 put some to, to lay some groundwork here and show you some scriptures. Go to first Peter chapter number four. First Peter chapter number four. First Peter chapter number four. Look at verse uh there's really not a good place to pick this up. Just look at uh Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Using what? Hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. He says there in verse 9, using hospitality one to another. You know, I would say uh, you could base how much you love someone based upon how hospitable you are towards that person. Right, And he says in verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Tim, uh, Paul told Timothy that in the last days men shall be what? Lovers of themselves, right? And you know why there's, no, there, you know why there's not hospitality in the, why hospitality is lacking in the church today? Because we're in the last days. And in the last days, men have become lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. They're, they're seeking pleasure. We're not seeking to fulfill any kind of ministry. We're not seeking to fulfill godly things. We're seeking to fulfill our own lusts and our own desires. And therefore, the body of Christ, hospitality, hospitality is lacking within the body of Christ. That's what I'm trying to say. But in verse 8, he says, Above all things, have fervent charity toward the lost. That's not what he says. Have fervent charity among who? Yourselves. <clears throat> now bear with me a minute. I believe in I believe in public ministry. I I uh, three different times last week was participating in what you, someone might refer to as public ministry. Okay, Saturday I was in Nashville at. Centennial Park. I was on uh, a place on Murfreesboro Pike. I was on Bell Road. I was on, uh, in downtown uh, another day last week. I was in another part of the state, another part. 
So I believe in public ministry. I believe in passing out tracts. I believe in doing all of that. I believe in uh, having campaigns where you canvas a town with scripture portions. We do that in Sierra Leone. We take John and Romans and we'll pick a day and we'll get the whole church together and we'll, we'll distribute 5,000, 7,000 John and Romans. It takes a couple, three hours. Uh, I believe in doing all that. But, but here, he says, above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Now, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm just giving you some things to think about here in regards to some uh, a, a possible hindrance to missions, okay? We simply don't love each other like we ought to. And I'm not talking about loving lost people. We're not even talking about the lost world outside the walls tonight, okay? Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, the Bible says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. You know, as King James Bible believers, uh, you know, Paul said, uh, he says later in, in chapter 14, he says uh, in verse 1, chapter 14, verse 1, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. And he, he but, but that has to be, he that prophesies speaketh unto men uh, to edification and exhortation and comfort. But the chapter before that says, if you can exhort people and if you can comfort people and if you can edify people and you don't have charity, you're nothing. I'm nothing. If I can do all of this and I have not charity. Now, Peter referred to it as charity among yourselves and then talked about hospitality. Paul says that though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, there's a lot of stuff from the scriptures that Bible believers have been, God has, has shown a lot of good men, some things from the Bibles. And we, we have some knowledge, but if we don't have charity to go with that knowledge, we're nothing. We have nothing. Um, if you live by faith and you have so much faith that you could remove mountains, but there's no charity to go with your faith, the Bible says, I am nothing. In verse 3, he says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So we can have a King James Bible in our hand. We can believe every single word of this King James Bible. We can believe every bit of it. But if a brother... Two brothers in a church believe all the book, believe the Bible. They have all the knowledge, but they don't have charity one towards another. There's, a, there's something wrong. There is something wrong. And it's a hindrance to the gospel going forth. Okay? Look down at... Uh, look, look, go to... Um, Go to Romans chapter 12. We, 
in, in chapter 14 there, he talks about the, the, the gifts and different things. Come to, come to Romans chapter 12 and look at verse, Romans chapter 12, look at verse 4. For it, uh, Romans 12, verse 4, For as we have many members in one body, and all the members have not the same office. Okay? So you've got a body of believers, and there are many members of one body, but not everyone has the same office. Not everyone can be, uh, not everybody has the same job. Okay? But you're all part of the same body. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. See, there's some, when you see that one of another, I'm reminded of a word called unity. That's, that's people coming together for a common cause to, accom to accomplish a common goal, okay? And he says, one of another, uh, verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophecy, according to the pr proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, so on and so forth. And then skip down there and look at verse number 13 distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. So this ministry, if you will, that the body of Christ has been given in, in all of these different things is concluded, distributed to the necessity of the, of the saints, given to hospitality. It's concluded with a body mentality. It starts with a body. And it ends with a body, so the body ministers to the body, right? If your leg itches, you take your hand and minister to your leg and, and scratch it, right? So when there's someone that's hurting in the body, it takes another member of the body, maybe to show some hospitality toward another member, and, and at the end of it, there is some ministering that takes place. In other words, we look at ministry as all about lost people. When we hear ministry, when I hear ministry, in my mind, I think that has to all only mean lost people. And I think that's a I think that's a bad way to look at it. Does ministry include ministering to the lost? Yes. But if you look uh, in the book of Acts in the early church, when they were, they were ministering the word of the Lord, they were ministering the word of the word of God, right? And in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about evangelists and apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers uh, to, and to edify the body of Christ for the what? Work of the ministry. Well, We've looked at the we've we've in in the few verses that we've went to we've been able to see Jesus said if you want to prove to the world that you are my disciple you're going to prove that by your love one toward another Peter said above all hospitality one toward another not grudging see it's not really hospitality if you do something for someone else inside the body and you, it's, it's grudging when you do it. It's like God, the Bible says, God loveth a cheerful giver. Everybody says, and, and when we hear that, what do we think of? We think of what? 
money. But it's not always money. It might be that God loves a cheerful giver when he gives of his time to another brother in the church. If you give your time to another brother in the church, but you do it grudgingly, do you accomplish anything? If you do it without charity, do you accomplish anything? Is the common goal of the body accomplished when there is when, 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 when there is not charity involved in giving of your time or giving of yourself or giving of your finances or whatever else it might be that you gave, God says, the Bible says that God loveth a cheerful giver. When you give without cheer in your heart, it doesn't, it's, it's like charity. It doesn't profit anything. So a hindrance to missions, I believe, is simply a lack of hospitality among the brethren, among the, the local body, if you will. People can't get along. And there's no hospitality one towards another. There's no love one towards another. Look at... Um, use hospitality. Just remember that First Peter 4, 8 and 9, use hospitality one towards another without grudging. I want you to look at, uh, look at Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Now, Titus chapter 1, I want you to look down at verse 7. For a bishop must be, before we go any farther, are, are we all bishops in here? No. Okay. But if God puts some... Uh, let's say qualifications of someone that's going to be a bishop, would you not want to desire to possess those qualifications? It seems to me like personally, if, if I can look at the highest office in the church or, or however you want to look at it and God's going to give a list of things that that man has to have in order to be a bishop. It seems to me like if I was a seven, 16, 15, 16, a 13-year-old, a 10-year-old, or an 80-year-old, I would want to find out how to fit those qualifications, right? Now, he says, if any man be, uh, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, nor striker, nor filthy lucre, not, nor, sorry, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. If you invite someone to your house for a meal, can you love doing that? Can you love having someone from church to your house? Can you be a lover of hospitality? Can you be a lover of loving on someone in this church? Jesus said, that's what, you're, that's what it's going to take if you want to show the world that you're my disciple. Now, I'm going somewhere. Just bear with me. Look at, uh, look at Ephesians chapter 1. I might have the wrong reference right now. You know, I got it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse Look at verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and 
what's the next what's the next phrase there love unto all the saints right so that so these these saints at Ephesus he's writing to them and he says he says I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints did you know that Ephesus the church the the, the uh, Ephesus was responsible for what they were responsible for getting the gospel they they got the gospel into all of asia right as a result of what happened at ephesus is that right but when paul writes to them he didn't tell that he heard of the fact that they had gotten all those gospel tracts out he didn't commend them because they had gotten the gospel into all of asia when God, God here, he did not compliment them on the fact that they had visited every house on their street. God did not compliment them on the fact that they had been in every county for 150 square miles and placed a gospel track into the hand of every single person. That's not what he complimented them. He complimented them on their love unto all the saints. That's what God, when the Holy Spirit wrote and gave a compliment to the, to the saints at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, it was, it was their love unto all the saints. That's what God brought up. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was part of a church, I would love to be a on the receiving end of a compliment that had to do with me loving somebody. I would love to be in a, in a, in a, associated with a body of believers that when the Holy Spirit wanted to give a compliment, he bragged on how much they loved the saints. That's not the lost. What's the conclusion? Oh, we could go on and on and on and on. The point that I'm trying to make by showing you what I'm showing you here is when people start loving people and when saints start loving saints, saints are edified and when saints are edified, the work gets done. The work will not get done if everybody's doing it grudgingly. The work will not get done if everybody is poor pitiful me over every time there's an outreach. Okay. Now let's go to, let's go to first Corinthians chapter 16. First Corinthians chapter 16. I'll show you. I want to look at a thing here. First Corinthians chapter 16. Look at verse. Uh, look at verse 13. The Bible says here, watch ye stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. Let all your things be done with what? Charity. There's that word again. I don't think you can separate charity from an attitude or a um, motive one towards another. Your attitude and your motive towards another believer or, or somebody that's lost for that matter, it has to be bathed in charity. 
okay? Let all your things be done with charity. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry. I've, I don't know how many people I've heard quote this verse, and that's where they stop. They say the house of Stephanus, man, they addicted themselves to the ministry. If you want to be addicted to something, why not addict yourself to the ministry? There's all kinds of addictions in the world, and there is. That's true. Why not addict yourself to the ministry? Well, what ministry? See, you have to finish the verse. It's not get addicted to passing out gospel tracts. That's not what he says. He says they addicted themselves to the ministry of what? So the house of Stephanus, who are they ministering to? Saints. And if you go back to the book of Acts, what happened when the saints were ministered to by the house of Stephanus? That's Apollos, right? Priscilla and Aquila and all them back there in the book of Acts. What happened? The word of God grew and the, word, and the number of the disciples multiplied. There was great... It, there was a revival taking place because there was somebody in the church that said, you know what? I'm going to take on myself the ministry of the saints. I'm going to find some saints that I can minister to and care about and love on. And when I, and, and what happens, the fruit of that is you are edifying somebody. You are encouraging somebody. Think about Barnabas. Barnabas was an encourager, right? So why not be a Barnabas? Why not be, be like the house of Stephanus that addicts themselves to the ministry of the saints? I promise you, if you'll figure out a way to love each other and build each other up, reaching the lost will take care of itself. It will come second nature. It, you will not have to feel like you're being browbeat to reach the lost with the gospel if you'll just start loving each other right here. Because you'll get so excited about loving somebody in here that you think, man, I need to. Or you'll love on somebody to the point that they just they just think, man, I've got to tell somebody about how good this is. And it just comes natural. We could say a lot more about this, but they were the first fruits of Achaia. And they addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Then he says that. Uh, so now he's going to finish the. He says, I beseech you, brethren, then there's that parentheses there, and then verse 16, that you submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. What's he talking about to submit yourself to? Stephanus? No. What's he tell, what is he telling the church? That, what's he writing here? He says that you submit yourselves unto such. What is that? Just submit yourself to ministering to the saints. Verse 17, he said, I am glad for the, of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus. For that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. What's, what's, what's happening there? Paul and them are over at one place preaching. And this 
one group of people they like they didn't they didn't minister to them maybe the way that they ought to have and this other family steps up and fills the gap and paul says i'm glad i'm glad that you all came down there where we were and helped us out you see that there that's the body ministering to one another the gospel the gospel cannot go forth as long as there is division and schisms within the body. There has to be love one towards another. Now think about another element of this. In the book of, well, let's just, let's just take the ascension of Jesus Christ. After the ascension, ascension, who was the great commission? Who, who was commissioned? Disciples. The disciples were commissioned. Okay. Then you get to the first part of the book of Acts, and there was it says there after the meeting in the upper room, there was what? About 120. Is that right? Disciples. Now, after three and a well, let's not even get into that. There was 120 disciples, and then by the time you get to Acts chapter, uh, the, let's just say the end of Acts chapter 2, there was about what? 3,000 souls that were saved, right? And then after that, you see the, the, the phrases of the, the disciples taking the word of God. The disciples multiply. Now, we're, when, when, think with me. Who was preaching the word of God? Saved people or disciples? Is a disciple saved? Yes. What I'm saying is there were 3,000 people that was it that was part of the body of Christ but it was the disciples it was those of those it was how do i say this yeah you had 3000 people that had gotten saved but not everybody that was saved was doing anything there were people that had devoted themselves to Jesus Christ and had placed their love for him above everything else and had decided that they were going to give all they had. They were going to. They were going to give all they had because they loved the Lord, because they loved Him, because He first loved them. And as a result of that, there were disciples that took the gospel to the world. Not every saved person participated. Is what I'm trying to say. And when Jesus Christ in the book of Luke was talking about people that could not be His disciples. You see, you understand there's qualified. Jesus gave some qualifications, three qualifications there for being a disciple. One is your relationship with him. It has to be higher than any other thing. Then secondly, he says, you've got to be willing to let everything go. You've got to turn all your desires over to me. And he gave some qualifications. He said three times in there that he said, if this doesn't happen, you cannot be my disciple. And we'll talk about this uh, Sunday, some Sunday night, probably. But when the commission was given, it was disciples. It was the same group that Jesus had said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one towards another. And when Barnabas in Acts chapter 11 had went to Jerusalem, talks about seeing with their eyes the grace of God. How do you see the grace of God? Paul told him at Galatia, uh, at, at the, at, that that he said you have uh, seen the the Son of God uh, Jesus Christ evidently crucified among you. They didn't see the crucifixion. So you've got a group of people in the Book of Acts who seen the grace of God, and then in Gal uh, in the Book of Galatians, Paul says 
that Jesus Christ was crucified among you. How do you see that? You see it in people. And the way that you see it in people is by the way that they treat other people. You're not going to treat somebody like a doormat and somebody see the grace of God in you. And when those people were seeing, and I'm not, I'm not talking about lifestyle evangelism or something like that, but your lifestyle ought to be a testimony of the grace of God. I'm not saying that somebody's just going to look at you and get saved. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying people ought to be able to see something in you that they cannot see in the, in the world. And that's what Jesus was trying to show his disciples. And that's what Peter's talking about. Paul's talking about it. And you have some people at the house of Stephanus that addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That's connected to hospitality. It's connected to charity. It's connected to whatever you want to connect it to. Okay. Now I'm having a hard time trying to get what's in my mind out. So just bear with me. We'll hopefully by the time I leave next week after Thursday, y'all understand where I'm going with all this. Cause this is going to have to build on itself. Now I want you to come to the book of Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. In, in Acts chapter 13 here, you have uh, verse 1. The Bible says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch. Okay? You got the church at Antioch. And it says, Now uh, there were in the church at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, which had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. Verse 2, as they ministered unto the Lord, sorry, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. All right, so you've got a church here at Antioch, and this church at Antioch is, uh, it had been a, really a strategical shift, if you will, from Jerusalem to Antioch, and what develops here at Antioch is a hub uh, for what we would call mission sending as a local church. The, the record of the first missionaries, if you will, sent by a local church was sent from Antioch, right? And uh, this was uh, the, the, the progress uh, that was made by the, the churches, the church at Jerusalem was uh, maybe you could say incidental, okay? It was just as a result, the, the gospel was being preached. But now we read at Antioch and they are on purpose sending somebody out to preach the gospel, okay? And so as they're being sent, they're being sent by the, uh, verse four says they were sent forth by the Holy Ghost and they departed uh, to Seleucia and from thence they sailed to Cyprus and all that. So the church at Antioch, when most people talk about or think about the church at Antioch, they think of Barnabas 
and Saul being sent forth. And that's, that's what I do. But I like how God gives us, I like the information that God gives us in verse number one, okay? Now, the church that was at Antioch, um, you can find out that they, they, they sent money back to Jerusalem. They had Barnabas take money back to Jerusalem. Um, they, they were, uh, there, was a, there was such a sense of unity among the diverse group of people that was inside. Now, why am I mentioning that? Because I think that that has something to do with how prosperous the church at Antioch was when it came to world missions. Okay. And we're talking about some hindrances to missions tonight. I believe it's simply because most, most cases it's because people simply just don't love people like they ought to. And I'm not talking about loving lost people. I'm talking about saved people, loving saved people. But I want you to consider some stuff that the church at Antioch had to overcome just from within, just from within you, they had to overcome some racial barriers. Okay. You've got, you've got several different nationalities of people inside this church yet they remained unified so much so that they could send forth men into the ministry. They had to overcome some cultural barriers. Can you imagine what it would have been like for um, Manan, who was brought up with Herod, the patriarch, and uh, Simeon? Can you imagine the conversation between those two whenever it came to talking about child training? I mean, Manan was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. That's the man that cut off the head of John the Baptist. What would it have been like to sit down with those, those two sit down with each other and have a conversation? Simeon, he's from Niger. What would it have been like to, for those two to have sat down and had a, had a conversation about child training or homeschooling? What would that have been like maybe for Saul? Think about Saul. He was, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He, he came up with all of that. Okay, let's think about Saul and Barnabas maybe talking about what it was like for their schooling and their education. Imagine what they had to overcome because Barnabas uh, probably didn't have as strict of a regiment when it came to schooling as Saul did, and probably uh, that could have caused some great division. But yet it didn't. There were cultural barriers. There were also barriers concerning, um, let's say you had upper class, middle class, and lower class among these people. And the upper class and the lower class found a common ground to where they could unify together in spite of the diverse difference between the two classes or three classes of living. And they were able to come together in unity because they had love one for another. You had Barnabas, who was a, who was a foreign uh, born Levite. You've got Simeon called Niger. He's a black man. You've got Lucius of Cyrene. He's from North Africa. Manaean, uh, he's probably rich and wealthy. And then you have Saul, who is a Pharisee uh, with, a, with a background of being, being trained from a rabbi. He's a, he's, he's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. 
And none of those people were, were native, you could say, to Antioch. And the Holy Spirit records them as the first church to send men out for the work that God had called them to. There was a nucleus of spiritual leadership that was developed there. And um, you can find these people, they're in fellowship with each other. Okay, we're almost done. They're in fellowship with each other. And they are united while ministering to the Lord. Now, why is that important? And, and they're fasting and praying. But it says here, as they ministered to the Lord. That's, what they, that's the first thing that was recorded as a result of all these different people in this church at Antioch. They ministered to the Lord. Now, are you and I a part of the body of Christ? We're part of the body of Christ, right? And when, when we minister to each other, who are we ministering to? We're ministering to the body of Christ, right? Jesus asked Paul, uh, Saul, he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou who? Me. Who had Paul been persecuting? The body of Christ. And so in Acts chapter 13, verse number 2, as they ministered to the Lord and you know what I think that means? I think that means they were ministering to each other. And as they were ministering to each other, the Holy Spirit says they were ministering to me. Because when Saul was persecuting Christians, Jesus said, why persecutest thou me? And here it says they're ministering to the Lord. And as they're ministering to the Lord, what are they doing? They're ministering to the body of Christ. They're ministering to each other in spite of all the differences that, that, that you have with this group of people. And as a result, two men are separated from that congregation for the work that God had called them to. They laid their hands on them, they fasted, and they prayed, and they sent them out. But where did it start? Ministering to the Lord. And when Paul talks about it later in Romans, Ephesians, 1 Corinthians, he talks about ministering to the saints, ministering to the saints. I believe it's the same principle. When you minister to the saints, you're ministering to the Lord. Why? Because it's a body mentality. And when you, when you do that, there is unity, there's charity, there's love one towards another. By the way, Christians, the, the disciples were first called Christians where? Antioch. Why were they called Christians first at Antioch? It wasn't because of what they were doing. It was because of what they, what they were seeing. Christians, Christ-like. And the Bible records it and says that as they ministered, to the Lord. Now, I've read, I don't know how many different people's take on that. And um, a lot of people, you, they talk about doing it without any, uh, at, doing it as a, just with no ulterior motive. That's true. That are, that they're, that's true. It talks, some people connects it over to uh, Colossians where it talks about just doing something from the heart. 
not as uh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as unto the Lord, do it doing it wholeheartedly. And I'd say that's right. I don't disagree with that. But there was something special about this group of people that's talked about in verse number one. And the Bible says that when they ministered to the Lord, now we're saints, we're part of the body of Christ. That's what the book of Ephesians is all about, is our relationship to the Godhead and how we're saints. We're part of the body of Christ. We're bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. We're part of the literal body of Christ. And as we minister to each other, if Saul persecuted the Lord or killed Christians and Jesus asked him why he persecuted him, when we minister to each other, we're ministering to the Lord. And I'm saying one of the biggest hindrances to world missions in our churches is because there is no ministering to the saints. We're so caught up with getting out there to make sure that we get that gospel track into somebody's hand that we forget that there might be somebody in here that's hurting that needs ministering to. We might forget that there might be a lady in here that just needs somebody to bring a meal to their house. I'm telling you, if we'll figure out what it means to minister to the Lord and find a way to minister to the people of God and take care of the body of Christ, the work will get done. The work will get done. And so, as I've said, I think this is a great hindrance. And it's a, it's a failure to love one another. And when that happens, the work doesn't get done.